hey, I just wanted to preface this episode because it's going to cover a lot of transphobic stuff, especially the first hour of the show. And when we recorded this episode, it was on Saturday, where only a few short hours after we were done recording, some asshole in Colorado decided to murder people at a drag queen show at uh, Club Q in Colorado. So we obviously do not talk about it in this episode, and I, I feel like that's in part why putting this preface here is a good idea, just to be like, it wasn't on our radar when this happened. Although I do want to say, I mean, you, you, when you listen to the stuff that gets said on The Rebel, and you see the results of of people like this going and killing people for being out, proud, and queer, it, it's fucked up. It's fucked up, and it shouldn't be allowed, and uh, I'm angry and frustrated, but uh, I figured I wanted to come on here and just stay this or say this right at the front because uh, it's going to be weird listening to us and not bringing this up, but uh, stay safe, and uh, if, if it's something that bothers you, uh, you can jump ahead uh, roughly about an hour, and we'll talk about other things that still suck but at least they're not transphobic so uh thank you and uh i, I hope you enjoy the show fake fake fakeity fake hi i'm jody and i'm vienno can oh. you can i get another playback on that one no. <laughs> sure another <laughs> fake fake fakeity fake there we go. <laughs> uh, and welcome to Imperial News, where I spent my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about transphobia in the National Post with my friend Vienna. Can I get one more take? Yep. Fake, 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 <laughs> fake. We had a, lot, a few false starts before the show, so we thought we'd uh, just uh, kick in a few more while, <laughs> yeah. while we're doing this. Yeah. Delicious. Let's just make this start unlistenable. Yeah, I mean, it's this is going to be the the ultra fake episode. A lot of a lot of fake going on in this episode. So, how are you, Vieta? Uh I'm recovered from COVID at least. <laughs> we um, we did say we were going to jinx it by like uh, saying we caught up, and then not yeah. only did you get COVID, I got severely sick right after recording with a uh, Madrina. So. I, I it took me a while to edit that episode and also plan for these next few, but but we are going to catch up. <laughs> we will approach being caught up, perhaps. Um, but yeah, you know, I can speak and like not sound too horrific. That's good. Uh, I think my voice is pretty much back to normal. It still feels a little bit like eh, but. But that was it was not a fun time. Um do not recommend getting COVID. Uh yeah. just for those out there curious about like if they should try to catch it or not. Um, probably probably not a great idea. Yeah. How are you, Jody? I am also I'm feeling better too. Uh I didn't have COVID. Uh there was some like respiratory thing going around the schools, and of course, anything that goes around the schools will go into my children's bodies and then from their mouths to mine. So that's <laughs> as they cough in my face and rub their snot on my sleeve. So, uh, so yes, I had some kind of respiratory thing that was just brutal. Uh, it was weird because I could tell it, it had some symptoms that were like COVID and others that were clearly not like COVID and uh, very weird. But 
I am I am also out of that and ready for more transphobia, I guess. <laughs> Great. How wonderful. Yeah, so this this might be a longish episode, but maybe not. It depends on how much, but I'll I'll just say like the thing the reason why this might be a little bit longer is only because a lot of things had happened since we last uh recorded in terms of things like the the QP strike, you had the midterm elections in the the states, uh and you also had Trump or not Trump, Elon Musk and the whole Twitter fiasco. So, it's interesting the week that we're covering this week and all the things that we know more has happened. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So it, like it's interesting actually falling behind because now we get this like snapshot of what they thought before, you know, we now have the knowledge of where things have gone, you know. Oh, goodness. So on that note, let's get to it. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. So we're covering the week of October 31st to November 4th. And so on Halloween, David Menzies is hosting. And his, the segment was kind of lame. I guess he was mad at the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation because I guess they had some sort of cap on gambling where you couldn't spend more than a hundred bucks and it was for social responsibility. And then they removed it, which you'd think that David Menzies would support given that he's like a big time gambler. <laughs> but Jody, that controlled his spending. Well, yeah, but well, like the weird thing is he's, he tries to play like some sort of like hypocrisy game. Like, the big old government always says they're doing what's socially responsible, and now they're just not doing the socially responsible thing? What hypocrites? Like, sure. <laughs> Again, really s- silly and stupid segment, and yeah, I-, I guess I would just say bad move, OLG? I don't know. Maybe yeah. we shouldn't let people give away all their savings? That that is a a concept, yeah. But yes, David Menzies doesn't have anything enlightening to offer. So, <laughs> oh, okay. I was hoping there would be like a segment where he goes and he sees how much money they'll let him spend on lottery tickets. Not even that. We don't get any harassment. We don't get any like phone calls to like OLG staff. None of it. So, imagine no. the fundraising campaign. <laughs> Menzies spent all of his money on lottery tickets. Actually, it's been a Please, while. Please help him recoup the losses. It's been a while since I've listened to it. I, I I almost remember he might have said something to somebody, but it was just like a, a staff member within the OLG, and he called them and was just like, "Oh, why are you doing this? But isn't it socially responsible to have this cap in place?" And the woman's just like, "It wasn't my decision. I don't know what's happening." <laughs> so, so there you go. But then he interviews Jim Karahelios, who again was the leader of the new Blue Party. And they interview, or he interviews Jim because 
Doug Ford. This was around when Doug Ford was refusing to participate in the Emergency Act inquiry. And Jim's uh, claims that the reason why Ford doesn't want to is because he Doug Ford has something to hide, and it's that he's secretly a liberal. And that was pretty much the entire interview. <laughs> what? So, like, from what I understand, and, like, this is going to come up again in a bit, but, like, the secret liberal allegations has something to do with the fact that, like, Trudeau needed to put through this emergency act thing, and, like, Doug Ford let him do it, so he's, like, secretly working with the liberals, and he doesn't, and Doug Ford doesn't want that to come out. It's some, it's some weird conspiracy theory they've adopted, and, of course... We're never going to know because Doug Ford was allowed not to participate. <laughs> so we won't get all this like inside info about what Doug Ford was trying to hide. It's so wild how Doug Ford is now like to the left yeah. <laughs> in like the conservative mindset. Like, I I cannot imagine like explaining the situation to like the room full of people I was in uh, during the 2018, like, election results night. Like, everybody just gathered, like, watching the screen as, like, more and more blue fills the map. Yeah, that one day Doug Ford will actually think that a pandemic is a real thing. <laughs> and that somehow would turn all the conservatives against him. Yeah. Or at least so the they far voted for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they voted for the PPC. That's <laughs> or the new blue. We know where uh, their votes went. So on November 1st, David Menzies is hosting again. And we are going to find out where Ezra has been for the, the first two days in a second. But this, episode, this part of the episode is going to take a while because this is where we get into the transphobia stuff. And Menzies begins his whole segment by trying to play this kind of like libertarian game about how if you're an adult and you want to transition, then that's cool and good for you. Like, and of course, he does it in like a a lot a way that is a lot less sensitive <laughs> to trans people. But like, he reaches that point and then moves from that to say that uh, the problem, though, is that it's one thing to just accept people for who they are. There's another to like affirm who they are. And so he's against, like, being proud of trans people or promoting them or something. And then he goes from that to say, but the bigger problem is how, like, affirming trans people impacts children. And he goes into to this. Now, in yesterday, if little Laura liked to climb trees and play with toy cars as opposed to Barbie dolls, she was what was known as a tomboy. And she'd most likely grow out of this phase. Today, little Laura is not a tomboy, but a candidate for gender reassignment surgery, and the sooner the better. This is truly beyond the pale, but the indoctrination continues because, well, once again, if it's trans, it's good, and if it's good, it's trans. And if you all have a problem with that, then obviously you are a transphobe, and that's even worse than being a racist or a sexist or maybe even worse than an Islamophobe. And so it is that the progressives now espouse the marketing mantra of those advertising companies on Madison Avenue, namely, get them young and get them forever, 
a slogan that applies as much to pitching a brand of beer as it does to embracing woke ideology. For example, a few years ago, somebody thought it was a jolly good idea to stage something called drag queen story time. No, not at a gay bar with an adult clientele, but rather at an elementary school or a library in front of impressionable minors. Question, how did this even become a thing? How did anyone think that it was a good idea for children to be exposed to a man pretending to be a grotesque caricature of a woman? And really, what's the purpose other than a perverse form of gender-bending shock and awe? Now, I wanted to play that in full, just mainly because, like, for one, everything you said there is pretty much bullshit, like, about, like, no one's forcing young kids to have, like, you know, a sexual reassignment surgery or anything like this. Uh, but, like, all that aside... <laughs> Jody, they took our children to the this building they call the theater, and they saw people that were acting as characters, not themselves. And now they think that they too can act and (laughs) play pretend and do other things that, you know, oh no, oh no, exposure to anything beyond like boring reality. (laughs) (laughs) But you're picking up on the thing that like, is like throughout this entire episode, like you're only going to hear snippets. But the thing that always frustrates me about their coverage on this shit is like they'll use words like grotesque caricature, but not mm-hmm. like why is it grotesque, right? They they never explain. It's always at the level of like something is icky here. We're just never going to spell it out for you. It just is. Doesn't it feel gross? It feels just a little gross, doesn't it? And like that's all they're doing. There's no actual like here's why this is a problem, right? <laughs> And, like, when they do point out a problem, which, again, the the earlier thing that he said is the only problem that he points out, and it just happens not to be true. Which is that there are no children, uh, you know, going for surgical operations. They get put on puberty blockers, which is usually their next step is to then be like, the puberty blockers are bad. But thankfully, that doesn't come up this episode. (laughs) It's the same shit with, like, abortions, and then, like, now they're talking about birth control, right? Like, it's just, yeah, they'll go after, like, they'll make lies about one thing, and then it'll be a step to just, like, destroy everything. But yeah, no, like, it really is ridiculous, like, rhetoric to use when it's just, like, wow. You know, like... If you're taking a child to see literally anything, then yeah, it will actually, in some respect, have an effect on them. Because they're children, and any time they interact with anything, <laughs> it is, like, novel and, like, fascinating. Like, you take them to view, like, you know... A... Do you know how affected I was when, like we had like the reptile dude come in (laughs) to like school or whatever like guys wearing all khaki and he just like has a snake on a stick or whatever like yeah now all of a sudden you like reptiles wait (laughs) i don't actually it was still very cool though no we gotta start doing our own like far right pieces where we're like 
the grotesque lizard creatures that they carried in front of these children. <laughs> yeah. But it's also just like, yeah, that dude definitely doesn't wear, like, a full weird safari getup everywhere he goes. <laughs> Why not? He was not a real safari man. <laughs> like. I mean, it, it gets, like, weird, too, because, like, how they, like, try to make drag inherently sexual. Because there was a clip yeah. that I, I didn't capture. Like, he goes on for this for a bit, and I wasn't going to play all of it. But, like, at one point, he... He's like, why don't we just let strippers in for, like, young children to see? And I'm like, well, for one, if you have someone stripping to the nude, like, there, there is, that is a sexual activity, and it's not what the drag people are doing. It's a completely different activity, and you're the one who's sexualizing it. No no kid in that room is sexualizing the drag queens, uh, uh, or, or the drag queens aren't performing in a way that's, like, supposed to be explicitly sexual you know yeah and i say that because like maybe it will awaken something sexual in a young child but hey so does everyday life and everything else yeah happens. no exactly right yeah. like it's just so it's just so divorced from reality and there's no like way to really like handle this rationally because no like explanation of reality will be enough for these people because it's just like it is just bigotry, and there is no, like, oh, well, actually, they're just reading stories to children while dressed up in a fun outfit. Like, that will never be acceptable to them. No. Because it's the existence of a queer person. Like, that's it. Yep. Yep. And, uh, they, they, he continues with it. I, I wanted to hit on this part, too, because last week... Menzies dabbled in some outdated transphobia by discussing Ray Blanchard's discredited idea of uh, autogynephilia. Uh, autogynephilia, for those who aren't in the know, is was a term coined by Blanchard, which was supposedly there. Like his idea was that there was a certain segment of trans women that became trans because they were aroused by the idea. Not because they were, like, inherently trans, like, whatever that means. So the idea was that, like, th that term is used by a lot of, like, TERFs and a lot of people who don't like trans people to try to, like, paint trans people as, like, sexual perverts as opposed to, like, people who just feel a certain way. Mm. And so that term has been completely denied by the community at all and i also think like if that's why someone wants to trans transition who the fuck cares anyways but like <laughs> you know if it arouses you or it's just the way you feel i do not care have fun that being said he brings this up and so this week uh and he brought it up then because he wanted to use autogynephilia as this like see it's a mental illness and therefore, like, we need to treat trans people rather than affirm them. And so, again, he wants to pivot to a similar sort of argument, but by discussing the work of someone named Susan Bradley and whether or not uh, ASD people are more susceptible to being falsely labeled as trans. And so this is how he sets that up. And then there is the contentious issue of mental illness. I think back to a column in the National Post some five years ago by Susan Bradley, who was a consultant child psychiatrist 
formerly chief of psychiatry at the Hospital for Sick Children and head of child and adolescent psychiatry at the University of Toronto. Now, Bradley referenced a column in Crisis Magazine written by Elsie Earnhardt entitled, Has the Transgender Movement Gone Too Far? Earnhardt notes how the transgender movement began as activism for the rights of a tiny number of people who were uncomfortable with their biological gender. But these days, she says trans activism has evolved into an ideological movement to normalize the practice of changing genders. But in the process, she says the trans movement has crossed ethical lines with a very vulnerable segment of young people struggling with issues of gender identity. In particular, Earnhardt addresses the aggressive approach by adult trans activists in recruiting adolescents with Asperger's syndrome or other types of autism. Notably, Earnhardt herself has Asperger's, and typically among Asperger's girls in their adolescence, she preferred the company of boys due to the bullying she experienced from other girls. Citing a social media campaign featuring the hashtag autistic trans pride, she understands why Asperger's and other autistic adolescents believe they are transgender when in fact they are not. In short, these adolescents are told that they are a girl trapped in a boy's body or vice versa. And many parents buy into this completely unscientific hypothesis. Now, two points, folks. One, do you find this trend downright terrifying? And secondly, could such a column even be published today in the National Post without the usual suspects who comprise the cancel culture woke left? So I wanted to play that in full because it's it's kind of like a wild clip in the things that he said there. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you know who Susan Bradley is? I do not know. So Susan Bradley was a Canadian psychologist who founded the Child and Adolescent Gender Identity Clinic in Ontario, which eventually became part of the Centers for Addiction and Mental Health, so that it's under the umbrella of KMH. And mm-hmm. her colleague was uh, someone named Kenneth Zucker, who eventually became the head of the clinic until 2015, when it closed because CAMH uh, claimed that it was out of step with current practices for transgender youths. And this was because Bradley and Zucker performed trans conversion therapy, something that is now illegal in Canada as of January 2022, even though back in 2015 when all this was hitting uh, the fan, as you were, uh, it was already seen by the medical community as trans conversion therapy, and they were told several times to stop and eventually shut down the clinic damn yep so this article that menzies is quoting was published by the national post in 2017 notice that is several years after her clinic was shut down she mentions her work at the clinic in her article but fails to mention it no longer exists And uh, the article, in the article, she refers to this article written in 2016 by someone named Elise Earhard in what was called Crisis Magazine, which is a Catholic periodical. And Earhard's entire career seems to be writing articles about movies and TV shows, but from a Catholic conservative point of view. So, oh, I love that. <laughs> we got to read some of those. Well, some of them, I, there was several I of them. I want their Seinfeld. 
we're not going to read them now, but you, she, she has written several articles recently about how She-Hulk is too woke. And <laughs> oh, that's so good. Uh, especially for this conservative website that's called Newsbusters. So if you are interested, you could go check that out. She has also written for the Washington Times, which is the newspaper that is owned and operated by the Moonies cult. So she is she is a special human being. <laughs> but this is so think about this. Earhart's article on how the transgender movement is targeting autistic kids offers two pieces of evidence, which Menzies even highlights in this clip. The first is that from her own experience, she got along better with boys, therefore it is likely an easy step from getting along with boys to wanting to be a boy. So her, her in her mind, uh, her Asperger's made her more likely to be friends with boys. And then she, in the article you're reading it, she just basically says that she can see that it would be easy from like wanting to be with the boys because you get along with them better to then wanting to become a boy. And then the second piece of evidence was that some parents on an autism forum and then on Twitter use the hashtag autistic trans pride. Therefore, she concludes that the trans movement is a pseudo religious one and is abusing kids. So, <laughs> so that is all you get. And of course, that's all that like Menzies highlights here. And it's all that uh, Susan Bradley uses in her National Post article. Now, why might a trained clinician be citing a Catholic periodical with a few unsubstantiated anecdotes to conclude that trans activists are unethically influencing autistic children to change genders? Doesn't that seem a little weird? <laughs> no wonder her clinic got shut down. <laughs> so Susan, in her article, says that Elise's article addresses the, and Susan calls it, aggressive tactic used by transgender adults to recruit kids. And based on me reading Elise's article, I can only assume that Susan means that parents using the hashtag autistic trans pride are aggressively recruiting kids. <laughs> you know, aggressive hashtags. They're so aggressive. God. Susan doesn't offer any additional evidence beyond her own anecdotes regarding three patients she worked with that were also autistic. She does, however, conclude the article with this. So this is the conclusion of the article that David is referencing here. So this is what Susan wrote. Activists would have the public believe that anyone who expresses a wish to be the other gender should be allowed and encouraged to do so. Credulous politicians have translated their demands into law. To date, however, there is no evidence that there is such a thing as true trans, just as there is no marker that would identify as false trans. To accept the thinking and wishes of those with autism spectrum disorder at face value without understanding why they feel that way or feel the way they do is not a kindness and may in fact be extremely damaging. And after reading that, this is so fucking condescending. Yeah, and just like dehumanizing to autistic people, yeah. Yeah, that like we can't just accept what autistic people tell us at face value. That would, that would be wrong. We can't just listen to them and understand what they feel. We, we as the high-minded clinicians, need to tell them what's really up, you know? Isn't that fucked up? 
Yeah. I'm assuming you, you're reading a lot about Elise right now. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I am scrolling back on um, newsbusters.org, uh, which is... Um, a wonderful news magazine. <laughs> yeah, uh, the mission of the Media Research Center, uh, newsbusters.org, is to document and combat the falsehoods and censorship of the news media, entertainment media, and big tech in order to defend and preserve America's founding principles and Judeo-Christian values. There you have it. It's a research and education organization operating under Section 501 of the Internal Revenue Code, and contributions to the MRC are tax-deductible. So this is publicly funded. (laughs) (laughs) I guess oh, bullshit. Like glad Elise is getting a paycheck. Let's. <laughs> she puts out an art one article about an entirely different TV show every yeah. week. Like I was just kidding. on this one site. It's it's impressive. Like there was more than one She Hulk article. That was the one that stood out to me. Was uh, She Hulk is woke culture run amok. Yeah, but yeah, there was one for like it, it was the some crime shows like FBI most wanted or something like there was a whole bunch which uh, was criticizing them yeah nbc um shoot i that's just the channel that it's on i've forgotten yeah. what it is ncis I yeah think. that's yeah a, um just a whole bunch but yeah, it's, it's like yeah them. way to go that's your career but i did want to address so menzies did say like the national post would never publish stuff like this today and so I knew for a fact that that was not going to be true. So I I looked up our old pal Barbara Kay, and I found it's not her most recent commentary because some of the others weren't addressing trans stuff. But her most recent anti-trans piece is from October fifteenth. <laughs> so barely, barely a month away from uh, when this episode had aired. And uh, I want to talk about this piece because I thought it was amazing, too. So the article written by Barbara Kay is titled U.S. Army Forced to Admit That Male and Female Soldiers Are Not Equal. And it begins by talking about Biden reversing Trump's trans military ban. But Mm. then that the Biden administration just requested that only biological males need to register for the selective service, which is their draft. So there is a law where each, it's like males under the age of 26, between 18 and 26, have to sign up for the selective draft. It's like mandatory. But of course, a draft hasn't been initiated since like the Vietnam War, right? Yeah. She talks about how this raise, raise, uh, oh, so, so she talks about how this announcement by the Biden administration because this is how she frames it. It's an announcement by the Biden administration that uh, uh, only biological males need to register, register for the draft. And she she says that this raised questions on Twitter and there's a hyperlink. So I'm like, OK, this raised questions on Twitter. I click it and it's some random Twitter account that was like, Barbara, what do you think about this? It had like 50 likes on it. OK, that's amazing. <laughs> Now, now that tweet was highlighting an article in the Washington Examiner, not to be confused with the Washington Times, which was the Moonies, 
which simply states that the selective service system in charge of the draft has a section on its website saying that only biological males need to register. Now, notice how that's not the Biden administration coming forward with this. This is just a section on a website. <laughs> okay? Yeah. She then spends the rest of her piece arguing how men are naturally stronger than women, and that's the whole thing that she gets into. But of course, one might wonder, if that was the reasoning for the selective service, that men are stronger than women, why is it that women can enlist in the military right now if they want to? Barbara doesn't address this. <laughs> and part of the reason for why this policy remains and say, you know, it, it like Biden did the executive order allowing trans people to to enlist. So why does the selective service remain this way? And part of that has to do with it. it there's an actual law about the selective service, and that will have to change through Congress. Biden can't just pass an executive order, right? Yeah. And I imagine the law hasn't been amended recently. The last time it was Probably. amended was 2003. Wow. Now, here's the thing. So since then, there's been a lot of discussion and debate about just adding women generally to the selective service. However, that's stalled because now there is a growing movement to why do we have a selective service in the first place? Mm -hmm. And why don't we just remove it completely? <laughs> okay. And that is kind of like where it remains today, that the only reason it's there is because like it's an ongoing debate that hasn't been like no side has enough people that anyone's going to bring it to the floor for a vote kind of thing. I hope America initiates a draft. That would be so funny. Well, I mean, that's the other reason why it's not a high priority is because like the draft would be so unpopular that no one thinks that it would happen. Right. Oh, it'd be so funny. Though. <laughs> it'd be so good. Just, like, everybody tweeting, like, ah, oh, well, just got drafted. Guess I gotta go get gun training and shoot my officer. I just love, like, it's just amazing to me that he, he says that, like, oh, this will never get posted in the National Post. What low-hanging fruit just to promote transphobic bullshit that has not, like, she's so wrong and, like, almost, almost, like... I would say this is almost a clear case of lying. <laughs> it's like, if she clicked the links leading to the Washington Examiner article to know that this exists, she would know that this had absolutely nothing to do with what she's talking about. Yeah. But she wanted to be transphobic, and the National Post was like, Barbara Kay, please, publish in our newspaper. Gotta love it. Sounds about right, yeah. So all that diverg diversions uh, aside... <laughs> It's just amazing to me that, like, he's going back to grab, like, these old-timey sort of, like, transphobic people now. It's like, why do you need to do that? Like, does it help bolster your claims to, like, point to, like, discredited scientists? <laughs> Go, look at this person who lost lost their clinic. Yeah, but his listen the listeners aren't gonna no. do this, you know? They should be like, oh, wow, a psychologist said it, so... So most of the rest of the episode is Menzies criticizing the United Church for hosting a drag queen pumping, pumpkin carving. And he calls the United Church a dying church. <laughs> and uh, I just think that's funny because all religions are, are dying in Canada. <laughs> 
I think all of them are on the decline, except for maybe uh, Islam uh, due to immigration. And then also uh, non-belief is on the rise. So, Jody, you should sign your kids up for the United Church. Apparently, they they do allow atheist uh, congregants. So They do. There you go. I mean, drag queen pumpkin carving sounds pretty dope, not going to lie. Yeah, exactly. But uh, it, it turns for the dark. So this is how Menzies ends his segment. By getting to the root of the transgender problem and how to solve it. Oh. Yeah. I would argue that radical transgenderism is a strategy being used by those who embrace a Marxist agenda. Marxism is all about breaking down the status quo and building up what remains into a communist utopia, except for one little hitch, as the deaths of some 100 million people under communism over the decades has proven, Marxism, much like the 1970 Ford Pinto, might look good on paper, but in reality, this tyranny is an utter disaster. Indeed, let's rewind the clock back a decade, say. No, actually, let's just turn it back five years ago. What if I told you then that in the near future that I was going to create a movement that would cast doubt on the validity of a proven proof, in this case, that there are two sexes, male and female? What if I said to you back then my plan was to make people doubtful what a woman is? that even a female U.S. Supreme Court justice would not be able to define the word woman. Would you have believed this could be achieved? And in such a short time, no less? And yet, here we are, folks, thanks to woke politicians and activists and their useful idiots in the mainstream media, the dog is being wagged by the tail the vast majority are being dictated to by mad Marxists and mentally ill people in the radical trans community, individuals who think it is perfectly reasonable to recruit minors into their fold. Do you think maybe it's time to push back? Do you think it's time to stand up to this insanity? Or in the name of political correctness and wokeism and cancel culture, Will we continue to bend the knee and lose this battle, a battle that will claim far too many children as casualties? Like, the, like the, that end part is like the darkest part. Like, for one, like to equate transness with Marxism, it's like part of me is like a lot of the trans people I do know are all Marxists anyways. <laughs> but that could just be because, uh, you know, as someone who's... Uh, an enjoyer of Marx. Uh, those are the, the trans people I'm going to be surrounded by. But uh, there's that so that weird part about it. But I almost think, like, they're doing that because, like, you know, communists are their, like, number one enemy. So if you can equate, like, trans people with communists, that makes them sound even spookier. But then... To say that we need to go to battle against them and then not explicitly lay out what that means. Like that is that is the the definition of stochastic terrorism, what he just did there. Yeah, I mean that's that's the big thing, right? Um is that like one, yeah, of course 
like anybody who is existing against um like in, in opposition to modern society is going to be somewhat sympathetic to ideologies that are like based around critiques of modern society you know like no shit but it's also like yeah like of course it's, it all ties back to like you know it, it ties back to anti-semitism it ties back to like anti-communism it ties back to racism like it's all just like yeah, you want to maintain the status quo as violently as possible. So, of course, you're going to oppress any movements that, like, signal that a new or different world is possible, which trans people obviously do because they're challenging, like, the existence of, like, gender. Like, it, it's... Yeah. And, like, no shit they have relations with, like communist movements because like you can't really i don't know like like it's difficult because it's like yeah oh wow there are like there are neoliberal trans people there are <laughs> you know conservative and nazi trans people but it's like yeah and like if it comes down to it these people would give them the bullet too like and to just kind of be like, oh, wow, well, like, you know, there isn't a really a relationship to, between, like, political radicalism and, like, being trans. It's, like, kind of obfuscating the issue because it's like, no shit there is. Because there has to be. Like, there, there is no existence for trans people through assimilation. Like, it, it's just... It's, it's the usual trap, you know? Like... I've been seeing, like some weird discourse on youtube between like these debate streamers that like are denying whether there's like an ongoing like trans genocide thing and it just becomes like a quibble over words and it's like you just listen to what menzi said here and it's like it's still whether or not there is an active genocide going on i happen to be like i'll just listen to people and if they say it's a genocide i'll agree with them like i don't I'm not going to quibble over definitions on this point. But then it's like, when it comes to this, it's like, the language is genocidal. They're coming for your kids. They're this secret, like, group of people that are trying to, like, make everyone trans. And we need to push back before, like, they take woke culture and their ideology takes over. And it's Marxist-inspired. And we need to get to it before it gets to us. Like, this is... Yeah, like, like it is exterminatory language. Yeah. Um, and like yeah like that is ultimately the goal and I will say there's been several bomb threats now to the school in Oakville from that professor or the, the teacher that they constantly highlight mm. uh, and again it's not a causal relationship because like again Rebel News is not the only one making these points they exist in, a, in an ecosystem that just keeps pumping this shit out and a bunch of dupes online that are fed Facebook algorithms and Twitter algorithms are being highly motivated to harass other students at the school that have nothing to do with what's going on. So great job, you, you morons. You fools. But uh, that's why I feel like it is still important to cover this stuff. It's stupid, it's vapid, but it's like, it's weird seeing him also just go back to like, back in time to grab old-timey arguments that were made like five or six years ago about this shit so 
it's amazing how quickly things move, eh? Like, yeah, you know, old-timey arguments of five years ago. And it's like, but, like, you can say that about pretty much anything, right? Like, it's just, like, it's the same with what I was saying about Doug Ford earlier, right? Like, if you go back four years ago and are like, yeah, Doug Ford's, like, not regarded as on the far right wing of the conservative movement anymore. That would be a wild thing to say. And it's just kind of like, like, it is just like we are in such a weird, like, political and social situation where, like, things are in flux so much. It is, it's hard for me to reflect, too, because I don't remember. I mean, even when you look back at the Ray Blanchard stuff, or even with Kenneth Zucker and what happened to uh, that clinic, those were big issues. But I don't remember as big a sort of like anti-trans push as you're getting mm-hmm. now with these figures, especially because like there was an aspect of the medical community. And like, I think that aspect still remains, but it was much more like supportive. And this is what the science says. And screw you, you conversion therapy peddling assholes, right? But like today, I think the metal community is still like that. But now they will get like bomb threats for pushing back against it. And like that's that's the part where like it the pushback feels stronger is that it's yeah. coming from this like radical far right that has like really really uh, dined on this dark shit, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and like that that's like kind of the big the biggest part of the shift is like the militarization in some militarization's the wrong word, but like the the becoming like militant and like aggressive and violent in a like in a much more brazen fashion. Like y- they're cultivating their their brown shirts, you know, that's Yeah, yeah. like and you know, think about like you know, even though, you know, when they tried to do it in a more, like, on-the-street, classic, like, brown shirt fashion, like, you know, Charlottesville, that shit didn't go. Like, it just didn't work. They were, like, it was possible to confront them in the streets five years ago. Whereas, like, now, because it's just online weirdos who are, like, obsessive and can't, like, see the world at all normally they're just like you know you can't you can't confront bomb bomb threats on the street type of thing right like yeah there is no physical pushback that is really like that doable yep yep you can only hope to reach people through what we're doing here which uh, doesn't get helped out by the algorithm so that's <laughs> but uh but yeah it's uh you know just uh, just be kind to your your trans friends. It's gonna be uh, quite rough out there. So, mm-hmm. now to move on from the transphobia, Menzies ends ends the show by interviewing Spencer Fernando about the Emergency Act in Cree. And like again, they never like talk about any of the substance of this thing. So like, I have had nothing to talk about. Uh, which which is fine, but they argue that the indigenous rail blockades were more worthy of the Emergency Act than what happened in Ottawa, and they don't really explain why, other than, I guess, in their mind, the indigenous rail blockades were more violent, 
And I guess in their mind, it's only more violent because it's indigenous people that are doing it and not white people. <laughs> That's the only reason I could come up with, because otherwise I don't see why one is more worthy than the other. Because both simply blocked, uh, you know, in terms of even the, the Windsor Bridge and the Coots blockade, uh, you know, they disrupted the transports of goods which cost a financial or, or served a financial cost to, you know, business and the government. Both are the same in that respect, you know, which I remember at the time too, we, we were comparing the trucker convoy to the indigenous rail blockade as well. So it's yeah. interesting that now they're kind of making those comparisons too. No. And like, it is still kind of like in a lamenting way to me because it is like, I liberals that would have been like more sympathetic to the blockade type of thing will now probably be like oh they're just like the convoys forever and like you know hopefully that isn't actually the case but it is just kind of like that the right wing is kind of like adopting those means is a little bit like it, it is worrying you know yeah, a bit of that came up too with this recent Bill Twenty Three. Was it that forced uh, that was going to force QB workers uh, off the picket lines? And mm. you saw a lot of people when QB decided to say "fuck it, we're going to protest anyways." That a lot of people were like, "Oh, that's just as bad as what the truckers did." And it's like, no, no, it's not. And I think like people, especially liberals, are prone to just think that because you're breaking a law that therefore now you're just as bad as the truckers. And it's like, you got to get that shit out of your head. If you're a liberal listening to this, you got to get that shit out of your head. Breaking the laws can be okay. It depends on what the law is and why you're breaking it. You know, if you come with a justification, that's, that's all that you need that extra bit. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it is interesting to like, think about the rail blockades and like, the convoy stuff and just like the police reaction too because like remember the snipers in ottawa <laughs> <laughs> no like the rcmp snipers on the roofs during the rail blockades yeah like when they were just like doing protests and like blocking an intersection and like they had snipers on overwatch being like oh if they're gonna try shit like we're gonna like gun them down where was that for any of the convoy right like no, they were walking amongst them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, they were feeding them information. Like. Yeah. No, it's it's uh, yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah. But they claim that uh, again, Fernando and uh, Menzies both claim that Trudeau, uh, that Ford is helping Trudeau, and there's like some sort of conspiracy. Again, they don't really spell it out, but somehow they're they're working in cahoots with each other, and that's why he's not testifying. But then they play a clip of Trudeau criticizing Ford for using the notwithstanding clause. And Menzies suggests that this is Trudeau throwing Doug Ford under the bus in favor of the teacher unions. And this was the only mention of QP the entire week. <laughs> and in part, I feel like I almost, I had someone come to me and be like, oh, how do you think Rebel's going to cover the, the QP stuff and I said they're not going to touch it at all and part of that is because of Doug Ford right like their enemy is the teacher unions but like 
They don't want to be like Ford did the right thing and forced them back to work. <laughs> and so they're yeah. in this weird position where they don't know how to address this. I also think it's interesting that he used teachers unions because although there are some teachers a part of QP, they're mostly like staff at the school and custodians and IT people and office. Like it's not there are some like ECE and other people like a part of the union, but it's they don't represent the entire thing. So to frame them as a teacher's union is not accurate. Education mm-hmm. workers would probably be better, but yeah. But again, they want to use the go to teacher unions because that's like white collar, yeah, rich <laughs> is, is sort of how they frame it. They got good pensions, you know. They got good pensions, losing money on crypto. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Jesus, guys. Uh, that doesn't come up either. They never talk about crypto. I would love for them to talk about crypto. It'd be amazing. Rebel coin. Yeah. <laughs> they did have like rebel Bitcoin style, like rebel, but the B was like a Bitcoin. And like they did have yeah. those t-shirts, but they never, they never like actually addressed any Bitcoin shit on their show yet. So. Which is sad because I think Bitcoin is fu- like it's dying to the point of complete annihilation. I think at this point. But anyways, we get to Bitcoin know- <laughs> not yet. A lot of other crypto, yes. Yeah, so I was speaking like crypto generally. But anyways, on November second, Ezra was in Australia for Avi Yamini's wedding, and I just hope he treats this wife better. But that is why. Ezra was not on the show, and why Menzies was covering the past two days. So that that explains that. And he talks a bit about Australia, but he doesn't really have much to say. And it's like, fine, you were out partying in Australia. That's cool, Ezra. Have fun. But then Ezra wants to take the rest of the show to start uh, talking about Elon Musk and Twitter. And he begins by praising Elon's Musk's Elon Musk's decision to allow people to pay eight bucks to verify their account. (laughs) One of the things that Elon Musk has announced is that he will let anyone verify their account for eight bucks a month. He originally was thinking about 20 bucks a month. Now you should think, well, that's a good idea. Everyone should be able to verify that it's them. On many apps, we have to verify it's you. When you set up a banking app on your cell phone, you have to verify that it's you with a password. Uh, Certain apps, you have to show uh, a, a picture of your passport or other ID. So the idea that you identify who you are on Twitter and have the ability to buy that, it seems sort of obvious, especially when one of the criticisms of social media is there's a lot of fake accounts and bots or robots. No robot is going to spend $8 a month and have their account verified. But the thing is, it doesn't just mean a source of revenue for Twitter. I mean, imagine if 100 million people decided to get verified. I don't think that many will. Let's say 10 million people get verified. Every month, that's eight bucks times 10 million people. That's almost a billion dollars a year when you think about it, right? A billion dollars in revenue just from letting people verify themselves. It's a great business idea for Twitter, but it's also useful for individuals to say, yes, this really is me. And I think it could improve the Twitter experience in that you would know someone was real and not just some robot but the reaction to this has been gorgeous here's a tweet by stephen king uh the horror author who is outraged outraged that he would have to pay anything 
for the privilege of reading his tweets. He says he should get paid. <laughs> no, he's not mad that he'll have to pay eight bucks. The guy's a gazillionaire. He's mad that the lowly peasants can get the same status as he has. He wants to be special, and that's what he thinks the blue verified check mark is about. He doesn't want just the hoi polloi to have it. I don't know many people who perceive that blue check mark as a status symbol. It was mostly to avoid things like parody accounts and people claiming the identity of others. Which, now the time has passed, what happened recently? <laughs> I mean, no, I do think that they there's were some. definitely like there status some. things. And there, like, there's a reason why there's like stereotypes of like hating blue checks. Um, but the reason it was initiated was because of the pretending to be other people problem. Yeah. And as was evidence that when this blue policy went into effect, someone purchased a, an account for Eli Lilly and then said insulin is now free and cost the company tens of billions of dollars as their stocks plummeted. So. See, and, <laughs> and that is an argument against the blue check system as a whole, against verification. Like... Yes, I you know I think eight bucks to cost uh, ten billion for uh, Eli Lilly is a great return on your investment, but <laughs> that being said, this is why these things were created and why Twitter is inevitably inevitably going to fail because like I don't know it seems it, it would be one thing if I guess in like Elon's head it was supposed to be some sort of good. It might be starting to turn that way now. He might just be, fuck it, I'm, I've lost all the money on this, so now it's just going to be, like, my pet thing to let, like, it destroy itself with, like, not moderation at all or something. But, like, advertisers aren't coming back to this thing. I think it's, I think it's done tomorrow. Tom uh, we are recording on the 19th for posterity's sake. I'm predicting it's death on the 20th when FIFA starts. Um... Yeah, it's mixed. I mean, it's it's all over Those the place. Those World Cup people are going to blow that shit up. It is true, like, it won't take much to, like, break it, especially if there's no one there. But then there's also, like, some crew remained, and it was partially, like, crew that were afraid to leave because they had visas, and so now they're yeah, being yeah. exploited by Musk, and it's just like... But it's 25%... Of the fifth, like it's twelve and a half percent of the company, of like the size of the company uh, upon acquisition, but still like most of and like that was the actual company employees. There's still also like the subcontract employees that were also all fired. So it's like there isn't anybody to maintain basic infrastructure anymore. Like that's just not. It's not. It's not happening. You but know? it's also like I read some tweets by people who used to work at the company that were one of the people who left, and they said like it could run on autopilot for a lot longer than some people are giving it credit for. But like at we the end, we're gonna Twitter. see. <laughs> we gotta. We're gonna see. D to frankly, like it. It is what it is. It's just the point of like. It's amazing hearing Ezra now in retrospect of just yeah. like so pumped about Elon sticking it to all of them, blah, blah, blah. And then like the web website's going to shit. <laughs> it's, 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 it's also funny because uh, Alex Lavoie um, 
purchased like one of the oh the blue Twitter... check mark yeah 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 um I don't know if any of the other employees did I just saw hers but um so they were they were quick to be like yeah we're we're Twitter blue verified yeah and he he did after the Eli Lilly fiasco they did cancel the blue check mark thing already so that's <laughs> happened so fast i think it was only in place for a couple days before they like discontinued it so it's like once this month is done it's gonna revert back to the old system or some shit but like or they're gonna change things around and like update and like but like yeah it was a big failure of the rollout i think ezra also underestimates the number of people who would pay for eight dollar bots to like push shit. like i don't think having this eight dollar thing is gonna somehow prevent bots or other things from doing shit if anything that's just an investment scenario right like if i were an absurdly rich person and i just wanted to be annoying yeah i would i would buy bot verification farms like yeah so it's just amazing like all these people including ezra they just think they that oh they could figure it out like oh yeah this is a great solution to this problem and it's like nope you're wrong there's a reason that, like, companies have, like, marketing and research and, like, those sorts of groups, you know? Like, I saw one tweet where they're like, this is just going to be a series of, like, Elon waking up to a problem and going, oh, that's why they did this. Until eventually we get the old Twitter back again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw that, but that was before the latest string of yes. uh, resignations, so... With no staff, it could just die. That's <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Ezra's, Ezra's only criticism of Elon through this whole uh, segment is that Tesla, or Tesla operates in China, and he's worried Musk is going to listen to China if they want to censor others because he wants to keep his car companies there. He also claims that somehow it's good that Elon Musk owns Twitter because somehow this prevents Saudi or Saudi Arabia from like spying on Americans. Even though I was like, I thought Saudi Arabia owns a large stake in Twitter compared to like yeah, they they own the second so, largest stake. Yeah, very weird that Ezra would say that and then uh, just move on. But uh, but yeah, but I can't so, wait. I can't wait for that lawsuit. I can't wait for Saudi like the Saudi royal family to be suing Elon Musk because of how much he like destroyed Twitter's uh like net worth. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be so good. I just can't wait till like a bunch of people start suing Twitter like this even like the the shareholders or or is it not public now because he owns it but like for him tanking the company like that's I do think he went mostly private um or like whatever. That's yeah, that's I can't what remember. I heard. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how any of this shit works. Yeah. But also, like how funny would it be if Elon Musk got Khashoggi'd, like <laughs> visits the Saudi embassy <laughs> never comes out. But it, like he And they just have somebody else running his Twitter account the whole time. Oh. like yes hello we will i am going to make rational business decisions now no what they do is they use twitter to hack his tesla and control the autopilot so that he just drives off a cliff or something 
no, no. He gets he goes into the Saudi embassy. They get him. They weekend at Bernie's him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord. I mean, the other thing uh-huh. is like he might get sued less from Twitter because I don't. Again, I don't know how that arrangement is set up. But like Tesla is still a public company, and he was using some of his shares from Tesla to bolster like Twitter, and he might be sued over that too. Uh, for for de what is it depreciating the stocks of Tesla? So I don't know. Yeah, fun times. But. Uh, the only it ends with him basically saying how like Ezra claims that they were censored on YouTube, which you know they were demonetized, but he claims they were demonetized because they were too Trumpian. And I guess if too Trumpian means you denied various things having to do with COVID, then yes, <laughs> you were too Trumpian, and that is why you got demonetized on YouTube. Now, Ezra then interviews Mark Morano, who is at the time, was accredited, and like maybe it is the case, but I don't know, the conference hadn't happened yet in this timeline, but he's accredited to attend the UN Climate Summit that was happening in Egypt. And you weren't here last episode, but Ezra claimed they were going to send people to go cover the, the thing in Egypt, but have decided not to send staff there because they're afraid of being arrested by the Egyptian police for not being accredited. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. That would be also a great timeline. Like, yeah. <laughs> Menzies in Egypt, in, in prison in Egypt. <laughs> I don't even, I, he wasn't even going to be, I can't remember who he said he was going to send. It was one of the, like, the the other people. Oh, yeah. But yeah, he was going to send send some of the, the younger reporters over there to, to raise some hell. Maybe Lewis Brackpool. Get their UK correspondent arrested in, in Egypt, but. Just like, you know. The, like, snuck out footage of, like, Menzies still wearing the fedora in prison. (laughs) The funny thing is they added as part of the risk, they were like, because I don't know if you remember this, but there was a whole segment that they did where they were claiming how it was either, no, I think it was Catherine McKenna when she was still a liberal. Apparently she made the UN block Sheila Gunn Reid or something. Yeah. So that's why Ezra was like, that's the other reason. It's like, because they already blocked Sheila Gunn Reid, they're probably going to go for us anyway. So we were a target for arrest. <laughs> uh, oh. Yes, wonderful. But Ezra wonders if Biden is... So Biden is planning on to go to this Egypt conference. And... As our, our Ezra wonders if Biden, while he's there, is going to avoid talking about fracking because the upco- it might hurt them in the upcoming midterms if he discusses fracking. And so Mark Morano, who, again, he's accredited to go uh, and he's his guest. This is how he responds to that question. So I think they'll be careful, but there's an important thing here. Joe Biden is going to this U.N. summit in Egypt three days after the midterms. So you may ask. That's oh, odd. he's going after He's going after. Now, here's the key. He's going because where else Where else but to go to Egypt to get away after your party takes what looks to be a likely bloodbath in the midterm elections? That's a great escape for Joe Biden and probably the number one reason he's attending this conference in Isn't person. Isn't that funny? So the timing. The he's timing it so he goes afterwards to get away from his party. So that's right. He's going to take a vacation to Egypt after losing in a bloodbath during the midterms. (laughs) How optimistic of them to think that that election would be over in three days. 
I feel like it hasn't it hasn't ended yet, has it? Like uh I don't think all the congressional seats have been called yet, and there is the runoff in Georgia for the Senate seat. But other than that, it's mostly called. And we do know that the Republicans are gonna maintain the House and the Democrats won the Senate. Yeah. Even without the runoff. So yeah. Uh but again, not a bloodbath if the Democrats retain one of the <laughs> branches of government. And they and they compared to other years, did really well in the House. I think it was something like the last time like the Republicans decimated in the midterms when Obama was president, they gained like 40 or 60 seats. So like a gain of seven seats is not great in <laughs> when you compare it historically. So yeah, not quite a bloodbath. So Biden's not going to be forming a government in exile? At, no, in uh, Egypt? <laughs> yeah. No. So, just in case you you are like, aha, that's silly bloodbath. Let's so Ezra asks a point blankly about some of his predictions. So here's some of Mark Morano's midterm predictions. I mean, I do predict that Oz is going to beat Fetterman. The Republican will win in Pennsylvania, and I think a lot of it, sadly, has to do with uh, he's a stroke victim and was so embarrassingly incompetent in that last debate that I don't even think, I think it's got to depress the Pennsylvania voters. But I think overall, and I think Arizona, people like Kerry Lake, the governor is going to win despite the national attention and people like Liz Cheney going there to stop her. I do believe it, it, it may rival 2010 at this point, given the state of our economy, given the state of energy, given Joe Biden is unpopularity and given just this momentum that's happening. And a lot of this is even COVID related. Uh, there's a reckoning, I think, now from, and we saw this in my state, home state of Virginia, with the whole idea of the lockdowns and the vac vaccine mandates and the mask mandates and, and even things like critical race theory with children and transgender ideology. This is all coming home to roast, roost for the Democratic Party. It looks like a perfect storm. The issue, of course, is election integrity. If this were a normal year, Pre-COVID, I would predict a massive, confidently, a massive Republican takeover of the Senate and the House, governors, huge historic gains. But because a lot of these shenanigans of the easy mail-in voting and all that's still accessible, I'm going to hesitate a little uh, and see. Now, one of the big factors is, uh, Ezra, you may not be aware of that, that just coming out and polling here in the United States is African-Americans are very unmotivated to vote in this midterm election. They are not happy with the Democratic Party, and all indications are if they were to stay home, that would even be a bigger bloodbath than many of these polls are indicating. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I do like that he hedged his bets, at least. He was like, oh, but election integrity. Yeah, I mean, we are, it's going to be a bloodbath. Unless, unless there's some election integrity shenanigans. And I love his, his evidence of the shenanigans. Easy mail-in voting. <laughs> they were allowed to legally cast a mail-in ballot, which you were legally allowed to do for a very long time. But that allows people to vote. Yeah. <laughs> unless it's not. Yeah, and of, and of course, Oz did not win. And if anything, their constant attacks on Fetterman's stroke might have helped Fetterman by making them look like assholes for doing that. Because lots of people know people who have had strokes, and they improve. So, yeah, mm -hmm. they were being very shitty. The other thing is Carrie Lake did not win. <laughs> she also lost. Uh, so his two just, like, named predictions uh, did not happen. 
They were both uh, false. Also, not only did black voters show up, but uh, there was also a surge in very young voters, first-time voters, that uh, was unprecedented for midterm elections, which helped boost the Democratic chances. And maybe it's just because when they realize that they have fewer rights than their parents have because abortion was just taken care like taken away from them maybe they'll want to vote <laughs> you know maybe they're motivated to be like hey i don't like the way this country is going since it's taking rights away from me that my parents had so a bloodbath it was not <laughs> barely a blood puddle it was a light flow. Now, we get to November 3rd, and Ezra is criticizing public health again. And he begins... So, it's this is a weird segment. Because it's about made, okay? But he starts by talking about public health. And I think he, he's trying to make some sort of argument here. I don't think it goes over very well. But here's how he starts with... He's, he's talking about public health... And he wants to describe, uh, you know, what's the difference between, you know, these public health doctors who aren't really doctors and like medical doctors. What's the difference between the two of them? So here's what he has to say. What's the difference between public health, by the way, and between actual medicine? Well, public health is another way of saying health politics. Medicine is about helping a particular patient. It's private. It's between a doctor and a patient and no one else is involved. It's individualized care tailored to that person, their whole situation, including mental and physical and, and their history. You get to know your doctor. He, he knows your story. Public health is the opposite. It treats us all as interchangeable, like ants in an ant colony. There's no privacy. You must disclose your information to the government. No personalized care. You must all take the jab, no matter what. No freedom of choice. You could lose your job or access to public life if you refuse to obey. What a disgrace it is. This is such a, a weird, like, argument to make in that he's just saying that, like, because public health involves multiple people, it therefore isn't legitimate <laughs> or is possibly, like, dangerous. Jody, don't you know that everything only affects one person at a time? Well, I was like, you could make this argument against traffic laws. You know, it prevents my individual choice to run the red light. It's encroaching it on my liberty. It's just such a, a nonsense thing. But he, he moves from that to equating the, the public health with medical assistance in dying. And by additionally comparing both to nefarious things. A guidance document produced by Canada's Providers of Medically Assisted Death states that doctors have a professional obligation to bring up MAID. MAID, they use that word because it hides the meaning of what they're up to, MAID. Even spelling it out is politics. It's assisted suicide. It's euthanasia. It's culling the weak, the old, the sick. It's not medicine. It's anti-medicine. It's anti-health care. It's, it's public health, not medicine. It's eugenics. It's the kind of thing that the Nazis did, getting rid of undesirables. I refer to the Nazis specifically and on purpose and not in an overheated way because it was the Nazis who dressed up their radical racial and eugenics policies as public health. There were plenty of doctors involved in their final solution. 
And after the Second World War, after the Holocaust, there were the doctor's trials, the Nazi doctor trials, from which the West developed what was called the Nuremberg Code, which were rules that limited what doctors could do to patients. It involved informed consent. It was the moral and legal bulwark against the kind of atrocities the Nazis had committed. It was expanding on the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm, do no harm. That's the motto of doctors. Of course, we just detonated the Nuremberg Code and the concept of informed consent during the pandemic, didn't we, with forced vaccines. Like I say, there's a big difference between public health and actual medical care. Like, it always comes back to COVID, but... <laughs> yeah. I'm largely sympathetic to what he was talking about with medical assistance and dying. Like, I am 100% not. I'm like, I think we're going to disagree with this, but... Yeah, I think so. It's one of the largest, like, causes of death at this point in the country. Like of like disabled people like it, it is hugely like like yeah it, it is a horrific policy like it's been awfully implemented and like that people on like suicide hotlines are being told about made and people like like yeah it's bad like the thing is i i want more information on some of these like anecdotes about like the this happened to a veteran here or that and like in part because like those get reported on as like anecdotes mm. and I'm finding it very hard to like find any like broader information. The part of like made being a high cause of death or an increasing cause of death it has to do with the fact too that our population is aging and old and like people are choosing to die at when at their convenience when they're suffering at old age. Like this, this is like one of the reasons made was was implemented, right? And like I, I I've seen people b before made that like suffered through the stuff even though they wanted to die. Like this, e even like reading some of the the doctors who promoted made and are like the main promoters. Like that's you read them talking about their patients making these decisions in old folks homes. And like for some reason, and here's the thing: is like I don't disagree with some of the other stuff that you're saying because like there are clear stories where people. Uh, are are in impoverished situations and disabled and realize that like, oh, I have to make a decision to either die now or when I become homeless, I'm going to die anyways. And that is a terrible situation to be in. And that is, to me, the framing should be, that's a problem with our government and how we deal with, with how we're funding uh, ODSP and how we're dealing with the housing crisis in our country. It is... To me, it's like focusing on MAID, if anything, is fueling the far right who gets to play into this like pro-life attitude and how the state is this evil thing when the purpose is set up so that it deals with people who are suffering and know their th death is foreseeable and they make a choice. I, th I think that that's still like treating it as existing in too much of a vacuum because it is like it's different when it is doctors bringing it up, right? Like. The purpose of the legislation is that, like, the person is, like, able to bring it up to doctors as an option. Whereas, like, when doctors are basically encouraging you to seek this out, yeah, like, that, that is automatically going to, like, be a major ethics issue. And that, like, yeah, doctors are not necessarily friends in a lot of ways to, like, disabled people. Like, that's undeniable. Um... Yeah, like, like, it is a major problem, and I think that mentioning it as, like, a problem with, like, the way that things are going 
with the implementation of made is like the whole point of bringing that up should be to be like hey we should have social policies that like make it so that this isn't seen as a necessity so that this isn't seen as a like you know the only real option for people because death is a lot easier and more affordable than living and you know like if we are having these issues and if they are being like heavily publicized now it's because they're problems right like it and to just kind of be like oh well like made is fine but like we need to address the social issues kind of like ignores that for now because it's kind of like oh yeah of course we need to address the social issues but like if this is being applied in this way we also need to address that yeah i guess like part of why i say the way that i said it was because it's like again like if we're talking about harm and like reducing harm or like however you want to frame implementing a policy like this it's like i feel like part of the equation here that's been left out is the harm that's going to come from people suffering with disease and not being allowed to choose me uh especially at the end of their lives and so it's like to me like that is also suffering and it's one of the reasons why this initial uh, or this like new piece was added where doctors can like rec or suggest or bring up made to the patients that was part of the reasoning too which is that a lot of people you know they might not think that this is an option and think that they have to suffer through the thing and that would be an additional harm to people and that is what some of the doctors who uh, are those who who do made offered this as like an additional support so that people who want this as an option know that it's available and can use it now i agree with you that like there is like additional harms, right? But it's like, how do you balance that if we're not like realistic about like the harms on both ends of this? And it seems to me that the media coverage recently has all been like framed in this like kind of like right wing way where it's like, and I'm not saying that you're doing it. I think that a lot of left wing people are doing the right thing with saying like, you know, that issue, there was that one story of the guy uh, mm-hmm. who was on the news who, you know, thankfully a GoFundMe was put in place and he was able to get a place, but he was choosing maid or homelessness, which would have been death as well, a yeah. more painful death, right? And then the, the thing, though, is it's like the fact that he was going to be homeless and that was going to be a more painful death than choosing maid, that's fucked up, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's like, to me, it's like that is, that's the fucked up part of this. The fact that we have an ability where people can choose to die if they're suffering, that to me is like less the issue, but that's how the right wing is taking it. And then framing it as if like, you know, we're being controlled by these evil like death panels that want to kill off everyone. I don't know. Like, I, I think that's still being too generous to doctors in a lot of ways, because like, you have to accept that a lot of doctors are eugenicists. Like, a lot of them do view like any kind of disability as like oh this is needless suffering and it would be just like easier on us easier on like you know the hospital system easier on like everything if these people were just dead and like you know it's how you get people like dr oz how you people how you get like all of these kind of like far right doctors which hate to like kind of give it to ezra but like yeah like you know there's a reason that so many doctors were involved in like nazi movements and everything like that and you know obviously doctors are going to be more interested in eugenics than the average person because it is largely a medical thing um 
like you know it is something that needs to be like talked about and and like argued against and i think that like an easier way to do this would just be to legalize suicide like the right to end your life should be the right to end your life it shouldn't be reliant on necessarily a like medical system it shouldn't necessarily be reliant on like multi-step like medical formats because it's just kind of like yeah if if you are a person who wants to die you should be free to do that quite frankly but but this is why the maid framework is set up which is why it's medical assistance in dying because a lot of these people can't actually kill themselves for various forms of incapacities yeah but again like the point is not to like axe maid entirely the point is kind of like to expand it in a way that is actually in recognition of, like, the right to die. Like, whereas this is still mostly a, like, quite targeted, like, hey, if you are, you know, suffering, or if you are disabled, or if you are, like, soon mentally ill, you can kill yourself, but only if the doctor says okay. Like, that. that's still a, like, you know... But this is sort of why, like, the discussion focusing on made kind of, like, frustrates me. Because, like, just in even how you said it there, it's like you're saying, if if we just, like, like, I'm sure, like, we can keep creating iterations of made such that it covers all of our bases, you know? And, mm-hmm. like, maybe that is a more realistically easy, quote-unquote, easy thing to do. But we could just fund ODSP. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then you no, wouldn't like, need to tinker with Maid for that issue. You know what I mean? So it's like, to me, we should be funding ODSP. We can do many things, you know? Like that, and that's the thing, right? No, like, but, but, if, but if we fund ODSP, they wouldn't be put in this situation where it's, yeah. it's death or, or, or Maid death or death by houselessness, right? So it's the thing is, yeah. it's like if you remove that, they wouldn't choose Maid because they'll be living in their homes because they have homes. Right, like it, I don't, I don't think we're disagreeing on that. Like, no, but the, but then it then it has nothing to do with like in terms of doing two things. The thing to do is fund ODSP. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I don't know what like this is how this is like against what I was saying. Like, no, I, well, I don't know if it's against what you're saying, but like, what I, I guess that's like what I'm pushing back on with how this is being framed by the media. Like, I think a lot of left-wing people are getting this correct. It's just, like, it seems that everything is focusing around the maid when the right wing is weaponizing that to get rid of a program that I actually think is good. They want to remove the ability for anyone to choose when they die. And I think that is not good, you know? They're gonna they're utilizing this, which is why they're, they're going to people like Pro-Life Coalition and stuff like this, people who, like, also want to get mm-hmm. rid of abortion to end these laws. And so it's like, to me, it's like, I don't like that alliance. I don't like that they're targeting something that I know has helped people. Uh, and so it's just like, there's got to be a better way for the left to talk about it is, is sort of like what I'm trying to say. And that it's like, it's because sh- none of them, none of Ezra is ever going to say in none of these made pieces he's done so far, has he ever said that we need to start funding people properly, that we need to have a, a better housing, that we like... Those solutions obviously aren't on Ezra's table. His is that we should just, we get to decide and control people and tell them when they get to die. See, the the only discussion that I've seen has been about like, oh, wow, this is criminal. We should make it so that these people don't have to face this choice. Like, like I have not, 
I haven't seen the right wing takes. I haven't seen like any of that. I have pretty much only seen like the reaction to those sorts of articles coming out being like, oh, wow, we should raise ODSP. We should raise like, you know, assistance for people. We should like make sure that these, that this isn't the choice being faced by anybody. Like that has been kind of universally the take that I've seen in response to these sorts of articles. So yeah, like it's just kind of like, yeah, that's sure. Yeah. yeah, I just think in terms of like like I'll play one more clip here of like Ezra referring to one of the uh, one of the doctors who promotes Maid, and look mm. at how he like describes her just as a uh, some further evidence. Anyways, here's the chief eugenicist promoting this suicide. <laughs> Doctor Konia Truton is a physician based on Vancouver Island. She has been involved in social justice aspects of healthcare since medical school. Dr. Troughton is a founding member of the Canadian Association of Made Assessors and Providers and continues to be an active board member promoting education to medical assistants in dying in Canada. She would have fit right in in Germany in the 1930s. So many people needed coaxing towards suicide, didn't they? Look at this logical pretzel. Not providing information about MAID in a timely manner to someone who might be eligible can create harm, Troughton's group said. You see, it's positively immoral not to tell someone they could kill themselves. Now, this is not theoretical. It is happening right now. And why? Ideology, like anti-human extremists like Bill Gates. But, of course, money. I mean, treating someone who is sick, giving them actual medical care, especially if they're old, well, that's just too costly. We need that money to hire more public health bureaucrats to tell us about global warming or COVID-19, even though it's no longer 19, it's 2022. The big, like, thing there was, like, oh, yeah, the Nazis, famous for coaxing people towards their deaths. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, they really wanted the sign-off. They really wanted the permission <laughs> and consent. Yeah, yeah. It's just, the thing, too, is, like like, even when you were... And again, just the signing off of like calling doctors eugenicists and like the way that he's he's calling this one specific doctor eugenicist who it's like I've read her articles and some of the stories stories that she tells about the patients that she's dealt with who are like, you know, 80 years old suffering from cancer and are going to die anyways in a month and like you know, before and after and the harm of like not letting these patients decide, no, I want to go now. And I've I think it's something relatable. I think a lot of people have seen elderly relatives pass away. Oh, my cat's squeaking a door. <laughs> I've I've seen, you know, I think a lot of people have had, elder, uh, you know, relatives, parents, grandparents go through this. And so it's like, I don't know. I, I don't, I do agree with you that I think, especially when it comes to disability, uh, just like the rest of society, I think a lot of doctors are are not as great and and terrible yeah and are terrible you know but it's like i don't know i i honestly don't think there's like yeah a, a eugenics plan by these do <laughs> doctors to like bring made forward to like use this against disabled people like i don't I, and i'm not saying that you're saying this it's just like you can clearly see that that's how like ezra is framing this you know the thing is too like the right doesn't know what eugenics is. 
Because, like, he wasn't framing that around disabled people. He was framing that around old people who were sick and dying. Like, he was saying, like, oh, they're eugenicists because they don't want to just give them double doses, doses of morphine for two weeks before they die instead of, like, just giving them a quadruple dose and let them, letting them go to sleep. Like, um, yeah, like, like it's not... That, that's not what eugenics is. No. But, like... I don't know, like, and that's kind of the problem, is, like, you know, if we're taking the right wing at their word as understanding the concepts that they use, yeah, they don't understand the concepts that they use, and they use things shittily, and they use the things in, like, a self-interested way. But at the same time, like, when disabled people are raising concerns about, like, doctors and, like, their relationship to eugenics, it's like, yeah, you have to, you have to take that part seriously, because it's like, those are different concepts even though they're using the same words and i would expand it to the conservative governments for not funding things like odsp like not funding that is itself a kind of eugenics policy yeah no like letting people die because they are like disabled or because they are like you know not part of the like hegemonic like nationality ethnicity you know what have you yeah like like that's that is much more eugenics than letting old sick people pass away on their own terms (laughs) no and i think like that's why we're in this like shitty bind where it's like i think we can both agree like it's pretty fucked up that we live in a society where people are dying or making choices about their death for lack of funds to live normally Mm -hmm. And that in itself is fucked up. And our society should not be like that. And and it's, you know, part of the, like, right-wing strategy, right? Where it's like, you know, we're, you know, people who are, like, faced with death or, like, pain forever or, like, whatever are pissed off at doctors for not really, like, having the time or the, like, attention or, like, care to, you know, more, to help them more. And then, you know, doctors are pissed because they're overworked and exhausted and, like, miserable, and so they blame patients. And when both of us should really be turning our attention to the horrific government policies that lead us to these situations... And it's like, it is a very hard thing to get out of those kind of binds because often the the harms are real, you know? Like, I know nurses who have gotten, like, attacked by patients. I know, like, disabled people and myself as well who have been, like, absolutely not taken seriously by medical professionals to the point of, like, further injury as a result. Yeah. Like... And, you know, those are obviously real harms. And, like, you know, similarly, like, with, like, sterilization cases in hospitals and, like, everything like that, where it is, like, you know, that that is still on the medical professionals. Yeah. But at the same time, like, you know, yeah, we exist in a system, you know? We we exist in something that is beyond individuals. And it, it is hard to get out of the, like, trap of seeing things that way because, yeah, when somebody hurts you, you don't really want to work with them (laughs) yeah no and it sucks it's like uh especially in terms in like combating this stuff of like 
I don't know. It's like, what is, what is, how do, how do you weigh either ends of the lives of these people who are going to be harmed by either getting rid of maid or altering maid to remove some people or not, or, and to the people who are like going to be dramatically affected because maids in place while we don't have like sufficient funding for, for various programs and doctors who are assholes, you know, uh, it's like, it's like, there's an element in which there are fixes to this. It's just we are in a situation right now where it just it all sucks and like it's uh it's terrible. <laughs> That's <laughs> That's the theme of covering this show. It's yeah. all terrible. But uh yeah, I don't know. I just uh yeah, I I just I think the clear thing that we could all agree on is uh screw conservatives and they should be funding I should say liberals too. Screw them all for not funding uh, ODSP. There you go. Screw them all. So uh, now we can move away from our tension, <laughs> our very tense and aggressive discussion on made. Uh, Ezra ends with talking with Alam Bakari about Twitter, and honestly, like they said nothing. It was the most nothing of a conversation. So we're not going to talk about it. And that takes us to the Friday. Now. This one, like, uh, we're not going to go too much longer, but we have to talk about it. So this is how Ezra introduces his Friday show. Hello, my rebels. I'm on location in frosty Lethbridge, Alberta. In fact, I'm shivering on the street corner as I record this. We're going to talk about the prosecution of three truckers that uh, the government of Alberta wants to put them away for 10 years. They were peaceful protesters, nothing more. 10 years in prison. We'll tell you about that story, and we'll hear, uh, well, well, we'll tell you what happens in court. Ten years! He sounds like he's cold. I mean, it's Lethbridge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my initial thought was, is this the, the people who were found for the, the gun charges? And it is, in fact, not those people. Or I shouldn't say gun charges. They were charged with conspiracy to commit murder. But uh, I will say, since that happened at Coots, Ezra has basically ignored anything about the four men who are currently charged with conspiracy to murder who are associated with the Diagalon group. And even through his coverage here, because he talks about... He talks about how these three people are truckers and they're facing the most, like, harshest sentences... The, the 10 years, right? Conspiracy mm. to murder is a way higher charge. And I feel like Ezra is trying to say that these four people were not truckers. They weren't involved with the thing. By omission, of course, because he never brings it up. But like in saying that these three are the ones with the highest charge, that therefore the ones who clearly have a higher charge, well, they're not a part of the group then if you're not including them, right? <laughs> But they clearly were a part of that group. It's just interesting that they're omitted here. Now, that being said, the three men facing criminal mischief of over $5,000 are also not truckers. But we just heard, heard Ezra in that clip clearly state that they are in fact truckers. Okay? Despite what Ezra wants to call them, Marco was a city councilor. For Fort uh, McLeod, uh, I will tell you, he's no longer a city councilor <laughs> after being charged with mischief of over $5,000. Alex was a cattle rancher 
and George was a realtor. Now I, you know, not truckers. <laughs> what kind? What are the drive though, Jody? You know, are we? Are they're proud Albertans? Even if they drove pickup trucks, they're still not truckers. They're not like. Listen, is... they're small time truckers. <laughs> they don't. They take individual small, you know. But even like piece the, work. The cattle rancher, I think, comes close because he probably drives like transporting the cattle. But he probably he's the owner of the cattle ranch. So my guess is he's not actually doing any of the driving. If I had to guess, I bet he drives to the cattle ranch. <laughs> gotcha there, you, Jody. You got me. Unless he lives <laughs> on the cattle ranch, and then, <laughs> then he drives to the grocery store. Fair, fair. There you go. That's that's where he gets his trucker creds. So these men were the main organizers of the Coots blockade. So that's why they're being charged for this specifically because they blocked a you know a port of entry. Port? Do you call it a port or or just border crossing? <laughs> But they blocked the the entrance into our country uh, that specifically had, I think they they quoted, it was like $44 million uh, of goods travel across that border every day. Now, of course, it's hard to calculate what specific damage was done in terms of like financial stuff here. However, Mm. considering that the the charges for mischief over $5,000, if it's $44 million a day, yeah, they probably did fine. thousand dollars or more that's probably an accurate assessment and of course the maximum penalty here is 10 years in prison but that that doesn't mean that they're going to get 10 years uh and i i i don't perceive them getting 10 years mm-hmm. but uh i guess we'll see because that's what the trial is going to figure out but i'm like if anyone is going to be charged yeah the the three sort of like main like leaders and for me alex uh, the cattle rancher was one of the clear leaders. He was always the one speaking to the press. So it's like, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> it, it makes sense to me. But like, I, I'm also of the of the opinion sort of that like, I don't like, I wouldn't mind. And I, I don't know how I feel about this, but part of me is like, I wouldn't mind seeing them like have reduced fees or or have them reduce sentences or have them get off if that means that we won't receive blowback as like lefties, but then I'm like, but they wouldn't give us the same consideration. So <laughs> I don't know. See, you just, you just know that realtor is going to be writing like my struggle in those Alberta prisons. Uh, we'll get to the realtor in a second. <laughs> that one of them is a realtor is just like so unsurprising, you know, like that is just like, that is the like convoy people to a T. But that's like, the thing that like always frustrates me. Where like even to this day, like people think of them as these like working class people. They're not. They never were. It was all in. A, it was all a like misdirection from like the right wing people. These are not the, the salt of the earth. Those work in the field or whatever. However the hell they wanted to sell these people, and they weren't truckers. They were just rich small time business owners that were mad about COVID lockdowns. And mandates. But to continue, Ezra repeats over and over that these truckers, they were all peaceful. Everything about this was peaceful. It was not violent whatsoever. Uh, and then he he has something to say about whether they succeeded on their protest or not. That was a completely peaceful protest. 
that was very successful. It caused Jason Kenney, the premier at the time, to blink and to agree to abandon the bigoted vaccine mandates and other lockdown provisions. It was an echo convoy to the big one in Ottawa that achieved much, much the same nationally. Uh, those um, protesters were peaceful and they ended peacefully when Kenny announced that they had won. Is that how you recall what happened? That, that is not what I recall happening, no. It seems very weird to me that this is the narrative that Ezra is trying to spin lately, like that somehow they succeeded and that's why they ended the protest. Because again, that ignores the fact that there were these arrests specifically there was like 10 or 11 people but like the four biggest charges of the bunch were the people who had a conspiracy to commit murder and that is why they backed down and in fact so uh there are several videos available it's very easy to check of alex the cattle rancher alex van herk uh he admits that they ended the blockade as an act of good faith after the arrest of the Diagalon members, not because mm. they got what they wanted from Kenny, explicitly not because they got what wanted from Kenny. Like, I'm going to play you a clip that happened the day of the, the end of the blockade where he's talking to some, like, freedom-loving reporter. So it's a, a friendly interviewer. But, like, even notice how, like, so I'm going to play the clip where he talks about the arrests, he talks about why they're ending the blockade, and then goes on to describe why... Uh, his general thoughts about the COVID lockdowns. They arrested two of the people here. Um, we knew the people, uh, not from our group, um, but we did know who they were. Um, and then we all went inside, kind of stood down, and they retreated. Uh, later in the evening, I guess, an uh, arrest was done on a house uh, locally in town. Um, so not with anything going on here? Nothing going on here. It was down at another residence um, where I believe some other arrests were made. I don't, not 100% certain how many people were arrested there, but, and they claimed that uh, they found some rifles and ammunition there. Um, and whether, you know, the truth is there, I don't know. There's possibilities there. Um, and like I say, then we felt that we didn't want to be part of that. Our protest strictly here is a peaceful protest. It has been from the beginning. Um, our strict goal is these mandates have to go, right? It's been that from the beginning. Uh, and we just felt, you know what? Um, the public um, perception, maybe from that spinoff of all that, we didn't want to be tied to it and felt that it's best to leave in a peaceful way uh, to show the world that, you know what? We are not here to uh, incite violence. We don't want to be associated with violence. We strictly want to peacefully protest, but with intent to show that something has to change. These mandates cannot continue. Um, they were unlawfully imposed upon uh, Albertans and Canadians, and they went against the Charter rights, the Constitution, and they know they're guilty of that. And I really hope there's going to be a day comes that there's going to be crimes against humanity for that and, and justice done to the ones that did it. Now, I had to leave that last bit in because, like, he seems otherwise sympathetic until that last moment where it's like, no, he, he was never going to stay there until, like, we had criminal trials for all, like, the health bureaucrats or whatever nonsense. Right? Yeah. So I do like the identification of as Albertans first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so they, they, 
And like no no acknowledgement here of like Kenny gave us what I want. No, you never hear any of that in this. He's just like, no, we don't want to be associated with the people who got arrested. And like to that end, good on you. C- congratulations. You realize that four white nationalists who you might not have known were white nationalists amongst you were stockpiling weapons and then allegedly threatened to kill police officers. And then once that happened, you were like, maybe let's shut it down. <laughs> so uh yeah it's just like it's really weird that ezra is like just bald like he knows this like the reporters were embedded with these people they know why this all happened they had it on film they made a documentary about it so for him to just like lie so straightforwardly on his show like i have no qualms about calling this a lie i know he's lying here there's no way he doesn't know this. And so it's like, what is he gaining from this? Like, it's like all to just like make it seem like those uh, other people arrested at Coots don't exist. Those white nationalists, they just were never there. I'm just going to pretend like it never happened. I mean, and it's also just to turn it into a victory, right? Like that's... Yeah. that That's like the real... like rewriting of history there is to like make it into a like oh wow the freedom struggle won you know like oh they they got everything they wanted yeah. the truckers <laughs> came together and the convoy just smashed the canadian state and you know kenny and trudeau they had to give it up when it's like most of the things were already gone and like trudeau had already signed off on like the trials have already commenced. Teresa <laughs> Teresa Tam is already in prison. <laughs> the trial for war crimes. from McLeod, also known as Nuremberg II. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my lord. So, uh... Yeah. But yeah, just, just, they're lying, so cool. But then, Ezra, while at the courthouse in Lethbridge, is talking to two of his rebel employees, the ones who were embedded at Coots, so that's Sydney Fizzard and Kian Simone. And I believe it's Sydney Fizzard at one point. They talk about George, who's the realtor, uh, and how George... So I guess at the Lethbridge where the trial is happening, there was like a, a protest against the, the trial happening from some like, you know, quote unquote truckers were there in solidarity and to be against the trial. And there was a heavy police presence there because like, I don't know, some of these police officers were involved in the Coots blockade and, you know, four people are arrested with conspiring to murder them. So I'm not surprised there's a police presence at this thing. But Sydney tells the story about how George at the trial tells uh, their supporters to respect the police who are present in Lethbridge watching over the trial. And this is how Ezra responds to that. Oh, and it's and a. Sydney frames it as George was using his Christian religion as like a point to like sell this. So this is again, we have this ongoing narrative of like where Ezra stands in terms of Christianity. And he takes a very uh, firm point on this one. So, you know what? I, I'm Jewish. And so our Old Testament is a little bit different than the New Testament. New Testament has a lot of turn the other cheek, you know, uh, talk about love. And that's one of the things that makes Christianity so uh important and so successful and, and so valuable. Judaism, uh, the Old Testament is a little bit more fire and brimstone. And 
there was a real Christian flair here today. Not, not a flair, but a Christian kindness. And I respect it, but I have to say I don't share it, Sid. This praising of the police, and I, I, I know that's the right thing. That's the noble way to be. But I saw some RCMP liaison officers bantering with the protesters, and, and you told me that those were the same RCMP tricksters, the dirty tricksters who were negotiating in bad faith with the truckers in coots. They're the ones who were collecting intelligence on the truckers to feed to the prosecutors to give them the, these, those liaison officers are likely going to be witnesses in this trial. And there's just some, listen, I love Christians. and I love the Christian mindset, but there's something about like joking and bantering and we respect you kind of talk to RCMP officers whose mission even today is to get every scrap of intelligence to put these truckers behind bars for up to 10 years. I just don't have that milk of human kindness in me, Sid. Maybe it's, maybe it's nothing to do with religion. Maybe it's just my quarrelsome personality. But I did not like that chumminess with the police snitches and spies who are trying to put these truckers away. I just, I've just built different, Sid. Yeah. She's just built different. And remember, these are police officers who some... The, the interesting thing is, when the uh, blockaded coots ended and they finally left the premises, there was a famous video that went around showing the protesters as they leave, hugging the RCMP and the police. Right? They ended, it was like a peaceful ending to this thing. And so, of course, the RCMP, they're, they're being chummy and whatnot. And remember, the way Ezra is talking, like... They came to terms with something that could have been much worse because, again, there were four people who were arrested with a conspiracy to murder the police. So it's like it could have gone way off the fucking rails. And like the way Ezra is like, here's the thing. You know us. Fuck the police. But it's just amazing that Ezra is basically reiterating like like. These police are evil, they're corrupt, they're sinister, they're out to get us, and all like all the shit that fed into the four people who wanted to conspire and murder them in the first place. Yeah, it... I don't know, just like... I do kind of like find that very funny. They're like, oh yeah, you know, the Christian, like, oh, wow, we need to turn the other cheek. And it's just like, nah. Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> Vengeance! Blood is mine! <laughs> Kill them yeah. to the last one! <laughs> like, that is... You know what? Yeah, like, I'm giving up on <laughs> that thing that Ezra's gonna convert, because, like, that was just too... It was too good. Yeah. It was too, like, genuine. Yeah. It was too, like... <laughs> oh, my God. Like, oh, wow. Though, you silly Christians. Like... <laughs> Peace and tolerance? Uh-uh. We're not doing that. We gotta kill them to the last one. <laughs> Just as the Jewish God would have wanted. <laughs> oh my god. <sighs> uh. um, but yeah, like... I don't remember what else I had to say on it, because that part kind of just, like, overwhelmed anything else. Um, the only thing we can say is glory to Elohim, you know? Honestly, yeah, of course. Always. Um Okay, Ezra. Like what do you what do you say they should do to the cops then? Yeah. 
be mean to them. I mean, the nice, the, the easiest translation is just be like, or, or the, just not be chummy with them. Just like, be like somewhat standoffish. Well, <laughs> they're not our friend. They're trying to get in, get information off of us or something. I don't know what information through chummy conversations and like the people out in the crowd are not the ones in there. Yeah. But it, it is also interesting to like note like, oh, they kept talking to the protesters and like getting information to like report back on the thing blocking a border crossing that ended up having like terrorists arrested at it. Like, wow, they kept trying to get information about it. Like, in which, like, yeah, <laughs> people were embedded with them releasing videos constantly. <laughs> you know, the information was out there. <laughs> it's like, you know, the people uh, storming the Capitol who were like, I'm live on stream with 20,000 people. Let's go. <laughs> you know, 20,000 in the chat. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> so it's like, you know, they keep documenting the crimes that they're committing. Like, what more information do they need to get? Now, granted, I don't think they are going to be convicted of anything. I think they're going to get a slap on the wrist because they're a bunch of old white dudes who are just protesting peacefully. And, like, they're going to come across as sympathetic and they weren't the ones who stashed the guns. And so that's my, my guess. My very pessimistic view not that like i think that people like like i don't think if you do over five thousand dollars worth of property damage that you deserve 10 years in prison personally i think that is a ridiculous thing that's in our law but what i'm saying is damage property that's <laughs> yeah blow up every bridge you see said my piece my action item for the, yeah. for the uh. <laughs> oh and this episode's already long so might as well go to the outro we love you thank you everyone for tuning in and thanks again for uh badrino for filling in for vienna when uh vienna had the coves the coves so thank you very much everyone should still go check out badrino badrino i remember it was badrino and then he told me that they also say badrino and so now i'm just like confused but it is badrino sure <laughs> thank you for filling in for me and if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news if you want to stay informed about what we're doing you can also find us on twitter so long as it is still alive with uh our at being at imperial news of the z we have a discord set up we do twitch streams occasionally <laughs> when i have the time you can find videos on our youtube channel and you can find all the links to the show notes of this episode in the show notes of this episode lastly you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com special thanks to my friend mason tickle for the transition beats you can find his work at masontickle.com and thank you for listening we have also set up a website www.savetwitter.com each donation will go into crashing another tesla and therefore financially ruining Elon Musk and forcing him to sell Twitter, saving it for everyone who still wants it. Sure. So what, blowing bridges? That's cool, but like crashing Teslas, that's where you draw the line? Well, you know, you, you could have said like, oh, we're going to crash Teslas into the World Trade Center or like, you know, something fun, you know? Uh, we're we're going to make them all just continue doing roundabouts or... Uh, 
Well, that's how we're going to grow the economy, actually. Drive, drive through <laughs> McDonald's. Because <laughs> every time you destroy the World Trade Centers, you have to rebuild. And that's just a job creation program. Exactly. exactly. Well, the, first there's the cleanup. That's a lot of jobs. And then there's, there's the, the medical people to help the people who had to do the cleanup. Yeah. Then there's the construction. Then there's all the trade at the World Trade Center. Yeah, so please support us at www.safetwitter.com. Please. The economy is dying. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.